This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Why do so many modernist Catholics dismiss the Blessed Mother? Historically, Protestants have dismissed the Blessed Virgin Mary and sought to remove her from her rightful role in the story of mankind's salvation. Against this backdrop, Catholics have always been Our Lady's defenders. After all, it was she who brought our Lord into the world. Certainly God could have chosen another way to redeem us, but he, in his infinite wisdom, decided that the best way to do the work was to enlist Our Lady. To that end, he caused her to be born without original sin. Only in this way does the archangel's greeting, Hail, full of grace, make any sense. No one can be sinful and full of grace at the same time. Any more than good can coexist with evil. The founder of the international TFP movement, Professor Plenio Correa del Aravera, saw great significance in this fact, not only during the life of our Lord, but today as well. He spelled out his thinking in his lecture, How the Immaculate Conception Can Help Us Understand the Crisis in the Church, which we present here today. Professor Plenio gave this informal lecture on December 8, 1964. It has been translated and adapted for this presentation without his revision. There is a kind of interchangeability between the attributes of Our Lady and the Catholic Church. The things that are said of Our Lady, in their own way, can be said of the Catholic Church. Thus, when reciting the litany of Our Lady or praying the Hail Holy Queen, we can apply all the phrases of those prayers to the Catholic Church. The exchange would be perfect. In its own way, each expression can be beautifully applied to the Catholic Church. It requires some transposition and adaptation, but once done, it can serve as material for meditations on the Catholic Church. One such application would be the reference to the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady. The Church also has a certain immaculate character born of the redemption, and, in her divine element, she bears nothing of the original sin of man. On the part of the Church, sacred scriptures refer to her as a lady who is perpetually young, without wrinkle or stain, in a state of permanent glory. The same can be said of Our Lady as a consequence of her Immaculate Conception. She is a lady without wrinkle or stain. There is no stain, old age, tiredness, or exhaustion in her, because she is not subject to these things by her perfect and Immaculate Conception. However, this interchangeability between the perpetual radiance of Our Lady and that of the Catholic Church recalls another example. Despite all the splendors of Our Lady, she once appeared as the Mother of Sorrows. She was overwhelmed by the deepest mourning in all of history when she grieved for her divine Son. At this time, the words of the prophet Isaiah apply, O all ye who pass by the way, stop and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. The same comparison applies and is urgently needed in reference to the Catholic Church today. We should urgently ask Our Lady to preserve our vision of the radiant, inalienably radiant, 
glorious, and immaculate character of the Catholic Church. Despite the situation of deep mourning for the condition in which the Catholic Church finds herself. The Feast of the Immaculate Conception, so connected with devotion to her, is an appropriate day to ask Our Lady for this grace. Ask for this grace to have an imperturbable, profound, and undefeatable, indomitable, invincible devotion to the Catholic Church, despite the appearance of the Church in crisis. The situation of the Church is like that of Our Lady on Good Friday. Thus, the Catholic Church can also speak to her true children with the words of the prophet Isaiah. All ye who pass by the way, all ye unknown ones, all ye indifferent ones, all ye who understand nothing of my pain, all ye who do not understand the pain of anyone, stop and see if there is in the whole world Amid so many sufferings and disorders, amid so much pain, chaos, and persecution, a single pain comparable to mine, unquote. The Catholic Church can say these words to its true children in these times. In the sadness of our days, we must remember that the Catholic Church's essential nature remains perfectly radiant, young, infallible, and immaculate. All the errors of her human element and the enormous misuse of ecclesiastical power seek to give heirs of the revolution to the extrinsic aspect of the Catholic Church. There may even be formulations that make the doctrine of truth seem similar to erroneous ones. None of these things can destroy the immaculate character of the Catholic Church, which resides in her indestructible fidelity to our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, despite the great abuses of human power, the Catholic Church intrinsically remains majestic and victorious, just as Our Lady at the foot of the cross. This mother of sorrows, devastated by suffering, continued to be a radiant, majestic, and victorious queen, even at that moment, and perhaps especially at that moment, which was at once the greatest defeat and victory of Our Lady. We must remember that it is architectonic that the present things are happening. Architectonic means that it is in accordance with the logic of things. Thus, it is in accordance with the nature of the Church and history that, Given the enormous sin of the revolution and the human element of the church open to this sin, the present tragedy is happening. The church proves her divinity by this fact. She, so to speak, dissociates herself from these elements that fall into these errors. They enter into their own follies and craziness and turn away from her. There is something in the church herself by which she remains entirely untouched and continues without these stains. She continues in a state of perfection that makes us love her above everything on earth, save for God our Lord. What is this something that allows her to remain immaculate? First, 
it is that the Catholic Church will never fall into error, and her doctrine is immaculate. Secondly, the holiness of her sacraments never ceases to be a source of life for all the faithful. Finally, the Holy Ghost continues to breathe within the Catholic Church and produce fruits of holiness. These three elements keep the Catholic Church whole and immaculate. All the rest is secondary. We must lament and even utterly detest all the mistreatment she suffers. However, behind this appearance, the Catholic Church remains whole, infallible, and the only true Church of our Lord. The Catholic Church is experiencing a passion today, just as Our Lady faced in her compassion for our Lord Jesus Christ. The Church is witnessing a kind of internal crucifixion. In this situation, the Church is like Our Lady. This moment, when everything seems lost, is like that moment when our Lord bowed his head and said, Consumatum est. It is finished. That moment foreshadowed the Fatima chastisement. The sky darkened. The veil of the temple was rent. The earth trembled, and the righteous rose from their graves and walked through Jerusalem, bearing witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, many souls repented. Others hardened in their vices and became worse. This is a kind of foreshadowing of the Fatima chastisement. At this moment of the universal crisis, we have the impression that the consummatum est moment has come. The cup full of ignominies, the chalice of abominations is full. When all seems lost, it will signal the victory of the church. Then the revolution will fall, everything will disappear, and the reign of Mary will triumph after an extraordinary chastisement. Let us ask Our Lady on the feast of her Immaculate Conception to give us an enormous devotion to her and, as a corollary, to the Holy Catholic Church. May she give us an invincible faith in the divine character and the infallibility and indestructible holiness of the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, our Mother. May our faith in and love for the Church increase the more we see her persecuted, mistreated by the hand of the wicked, her external enemies, and above all, her internal adversaries. As Professor Plinio noted, many of Our Lady's enemies are internal adversaries, operating from within the Church. It is, alas, becoming increasingly obvious that one of those adversaries is Pope Francis. He has not shown himself an enemy by bold and unequivocal statements. As many observers have noted, this is not Pope Francis's way. He prefers to spread doubt through the process sometimes called weaponized ambiguity. In other words, he speaks in ways that are so convoluted that no one can tell definitively what he is saying. 
Longtime TFP member and scholar Luis Sergio Salomeo considered this tendency in his essay, Pope Francis, a critical devotee of Mary, co-redemptrix of our fallen human race. Speaking on the topic, Praying in Communion with Mary, at the March 24, 2021 general audience, Pope Francis dealt with devotion to Our Lady. Contrary to what anyone would expect from a pope, his words recall St. Louis de Montfort's definition of Our Lady's critical devotees in his famous book, True Devotion to Mary. Quote, Critical devotees are for the most part proud scholars, people of independent and self-satisfied minds, who deep down in their hearts have a vague sort of devotion to Mary. When you tell them how admirably the fathers of the church praised Our Lady, they reply that the fathers were exaggerating, as orators do, or that their words are misrepresented. These false devotees, these proud worldly people are greatly to be feared. They do untold harm to devotion to Our Lady. While pretending to correct abuses, they succeed only too well in turning people away from this devotion. Unquote. Indeed, such false devotees seek to extinguish devotion to Our Lady among the faithful by favoring a Protestantized Catholicism. This is not the first time the Argentine Pope criticizes so-called exaggerations in devotion to Mary Most Holy. For him, the titles that Catholic piety attributed to Mary are exaggerated. So to avoid exaggeration, he adopts a minimalist position, presenting the mother of God as, quote, more disciple than mother, a humble handmaid of the Lord, emphasizing nothing more, unquote. As he made clear in his sermon on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, December 12, 2019, Pope Francis is uncomfortable with the title of co-redemptrix, which popes and theologians have long used. At the general audience on the Annunciation's vigil, he again expressed his malaise over this title. He insinuated that by calling the Blessed Mother co-redemptrix, Catholics turn her into a quote-unquote goddess. He stated, quote, The Madonna who covers like a mother, to whom Jesus entrusted us, all of us, but as a mother, not as a goddess, not as a co-redeemer, as mother, unquote. This suggestion contrary to all Catholic tradition, that calling the Blessed Virgin co-redemptrix is equivalent to calling her goddess, is seriously offensive to the Mother of God and her devotees. The title of co-redemptrix is not an expression of an exaggerated childish love, as Pope Francis implies, but the result of long theological maturation, endorsed by the ordinary papal and episcopal magisterium. Indeed, the great Mariologist, Father J.A. de Aldama, S.J., shows how one finds the doctrine on Mary's co-redemption in the Church Fathers 
in medieval and modern theologians and papal teachings. Pope Francis exclaims in a Lutheran-flavored tirade, quote, Christ is the mediator. He is the only redeemer. There are no co-redeemers with Christ. He is the only one. He is the mediator par excellence. He is the mediator. Unquote. Catholic theologians answered this objection long ago. It is true that our Lord is the sole, absolutely necessary mediator and redeemer, and that he alone, through his infinite merits, redeemed the entire human race, including Mary Most Holy. However, by a free act of his will, not by necessity, God associated a co-redemptrix to the Redeemer in a subordinate way. Father Royo Marin, O.P., aptly summarizes, quote, In the economy of our salvation, there is not a co-redeemer and a co-redemptrix, but only one redeemer and a co-redemptrix. According to God's design, the Word became incarnate to redeem us. The Redeemer needed to be true God and true man, a descendant of Adam. Therefore, he had to become incarnate in a woman's womb. This woman would be his mother according to the flesh. Now, as Pope Pius IX says in the bull proclaiming the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, quote, From the very beginning, and before time began, the Eternal Father chose and prepared for his only begotten Son, a mother in whom the Son of God would become incarnate and from whom, in the blessed fullness of time, he would be born into this world. Unquote. Thus, God himself linked the redemption of the human race to the divine maternity. They cannot be separated. Mary, the Redeemer's mother joined in the work of redemption. That is why Pope Leo XIII teaches that God began, quote, the redemption of the human race through her, unquote. However, God wanted Mary Most Holy to give her free consent to this sublime act, and therefore, to participate in our redemption by accepting to be the Redeemer's mother. By accepting the divine maternity, she chose to suffer with her son, offering him as a victim on the cross as his mother for our salvation. As we said above, the Church Fathers, Theologians and popes expressed the idea of co-redemption, even though not everyone used the expression. Some popes, like Benedict XV, 1914-1922, expressed just the concept, quote, So did she suffer with her suffering and dying son, and almost die, so did she abdicate her maternal rights over her son for the salvation of men, and to placate God's justice, insofar as was fitting for her, 
so did she sacrifice her son that it can properly be said that she, with Christ, redeemed the human race, unquote. Other popes, however, used the very term co-redemptrix. For example, Pius XI, 1922-1939, taught, quote, Oh, mother of love and mercy, who were close to your sweet son when consummating the redemption of mankind on the altar of the cross, suffering with him as co-redemptrix. From the nature of his work, the Redeemer ought to have associated his mother with his work. For this reason, we invoke her under the title of co-redemptrix, unquote. And in his turn, Pope John Paul II, 1978 to 2005, stated, quote, Mary, though conceived and born without the stain of sin, participated in a marvelous way in the sufferings of her divine Son to be co-redemptrix of humanity, unquote. Whenever Pope Francis talks about the Blessed Virgin, he minimizes her importance in our salvation, criticizing her glorious titles as exaggerations. It is a constant. What a difference between Pope Francis's quote-unquote critical devotion and the true devotion of the saints. We close with a fabulous text by Pope St. Pius X in the encyclical celebrating the 50th anniversary of the proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Quote, True, we are passing through disastrous times when we may well make our own the lamentation of the prophet. There is no truth and no mercy and no knowledge of God on the earth. Blasphemy and lying and homicide and theft and adultery have inundated it. See Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Yet, in the midst of this deluge of evil, the Virgin Most Clement rises before our eyes like a rainbow, as the arbiter of peace between God and man. I will set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and between the earth. See Genesis chapter 9, verse 13. Let the storm rage and the sky darkened. Not for that shall we be dismayed. And the bow shall be in the clouds, and I shall see it and remember the everlasting covenant. See Genesis chapter 9, verse 16. And there shall no more be waters of a flood to destroy all flesh. See Genesis chapter 9, verse 15. Oh, yes. If we trust as we should in Mary, now especially when we are about to celebrate with more than usual fervor her immaculate conception, we shall recognize in her that virgin most powerful, who with virginal foot did crush the head of the serpent. Unquote. Unfortunately, Pope Francis' tendencies are shared by the order from which he sprang, the Jesuits. The Jesuit magazine America showed their ill-concealed contempt for Our Lady. Like Pope Francis, they did not want to do this directly. 
They preferred to conceal their intentions by demeaning those who used the prayer that Mary herself commanded us to say when she appeared at Fatima in 1917. Edward Benson examined this criticism in Why do the Jesuits ridicule faithful Catholics who pray the Holy Rosary? Occasionally, I look at America Magazine, which calls itself the Jesuit Review. Usually, I try to find out what so-called liberal Catholics say about traditionalists like myself. Sometimes I want to understand their take on a particular issue about which I am writing. I recently went to America's homepage to read a report about President Biden's meeting with Pope Francis. As I scanned down the page, the title of another article caught my eye, quote, I'm a priest who never had a devotion to the rosary, so I decided to dig into its meaning, unquote. The author was associate editor James McDermott. The article began with a lament about how one, quote, crazy aspect of being a priest, unquote, is that people expect you to know about Catholic things. He listed three examples. The difference between venial and mortal sin, Pope Gregory the Great, and the rosary. He explains how praying the rosary was not common in his family. Quote, I never really engaged with it until after I became a priest, when I would find this little clutch of people sitting in the church, praying quietly while the sound of little beads clicking echoed throughout the space. Unquote. Father McDermott continues, I could understand the potential draw of the beads themselves, like a little trace of the holy that we could keep with us. But the mumbled rote prayers, often spoken at high velocity? I just didn't get the attraction, unquote. The article then describes the rosary beads and the way they are prayed. The tone of his explanation would be familiar to a freshman anthropology class. It is as if the faithful are performing some arcane ritual from a primitive culture. He explains that some people add extra prayers, quote, to make things a little more interesting, unquote. Father McDermott relates the history of the meditation, but his explanation is rather strange. He dissects the story, implying two competing stories rather than a single narrative that rolled out over centuries. Typical of this dismissive tone is the account of Pope St. Pius V's request that people all over Europe pray the rosary for the relief of the continent from Islamic invaders. Father McDermott notes that Catholics won the epic battle of Lepanto, which he does not name, while removing any supernatural role in the victory. Quote, Supposedly, the sound of soldiers praying this strange rhythmic prayer through the night also freaked out the Turks. Unquote. At the end of the article, Father McDermott admits that the recitation of the rosary might help some people feel closer to God. Even then, he plays a final note of condescension by saying that those who say it might, quote, find a little comfort in the sound of little clicking beads echoing around us, unquote. I wonder if Father McDermott asked any of the millions of Catholics who regularly pray that strange rhythmic prayer why they do so.
I suspect not. Even the least educated of them could provide a more profound explanation. It is not the comfort in the sound of little clicking beads, but the direct request of Our Lady that prompts so many to pray the rosary. Of course, Our Lady knows that we are human and we are weak. Knowing that, she gave us fifteen promises connected to the rosary to persuade us to do what we already know we should do. My particular favorite is number eight. Quote, Those who have been faithful to the recitation of the rosary shall have, during their life and at their death, the light of God and the plentitude of His graces. At the moment of death, they shall participate in the merits of the saints in paradise. Unquote. Who among us can imagine what it will be to participate in the merits of the saints? However, our beautiful Virgin Mother, the Queen of all saints, promises me that I can share in these merits by faithfully giving her the time it takes to say the Holy Rosary. Father McDermott must have read the fifteen promises. He tells us that they can, quote, be summarized as the Catholic good stuff, unquote. I cannot help but imagine that Father McDermott might have some great-great-grandmother in heaven, perhaps a victim of the Irish potato famine, who was comforted in her last moments as she said the rosary with the help of a piece of knotted twine. Perhaps she is horrified by these commentaries and praying for the conversion of her descendant. We should also pray in reparation for the damage done by such superficial and dismissive comments about the rosary. The rosary is not a quaint devotion. Our Lady at Fatima asked the faithful to pray it as the solution for the crisis of our times. This concludes Why Do So Many Modernist Catholics Dismiss the Blessed Mother? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. Mr. Salomeo's essay has extensive footnotes. Links to the original articles are provided in the show notes for the convenience of listeners who wish to examine his sources of information. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.